All right, everyone. Today, I'm excited to have a new guest on the podcast. Her name is Keyshawn, and she has the Instagram page, Your Future Brown Therapist. So Keyshawn, uh, introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, sure. Thank you, John, for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Um, so just like you said, my name is Keyshawn, and I am from Your Future Brown Therapist, um, which is an Instagram page that started off... Um, with documenting my journey through grad school as I become a therapist, um, just spreading awareness of mental health issues in the Black and Brown community, and just wanting to educate um, anyone who wanted to follow me on certain mental health issues, and of course, show my journey to becoming a therapist. Um, eventually, I would like your future brown therapist to become like a mentoring program for other brown therapists coming up. Um, and a plethora of other things, but that's kind of what it is right now, just my Instagram platform. That's awesome. And I've been uh, following your journey. That's how I, um, you know, met you was through your your Instagram page. And I, I think back to when I was in the, you know, grad school internship process, um, there wasn't, you know, at the time, I didn't see a lot of black and brown people really advocating mm -hmm. for mental health. So yeah. um, we're definitely taking up more space now, <clears throat> which yeah. is the purpose of this podcast. But um, mm -hmm. I'm really excited to watch that um, project that you have grow. Um, and I'll make Thank sure you. to put the Instagram information in the show notes so that people can find you. Um, you. So Keyshawn, you're currently in graduate school. You're coming towards the end of your grad school at this point, right? Yes. Okay. Thank Amen. <laughs> um, so um, the listeners know that I'm a licensed professional counselor. You're pursuing mm -hmm. a track uh, of marriage and family therapy. Can yes. you talk a little bit about what the differences are between those two um, education mm -hmm. tracks? Yes. Yeah, so MFTs, marriage and family therapists, we believe uh, uh, that we should counsel from a systemic um, perspective which means that we look a lot into how a person's upbringing, family, background, just their systemic um, situation, period, meaning their jobs, just a lot of how their relational relationships affect what they're experiencing. We believe that 95% of the mental health issues or things that are going on in a person's life um, have some type of uh, the, their systemic background has an effect on that so Absolutely. we spend a lot of time yeah we spend a lot of time uh looking at how a person's family upbringing looking at genograms um and just looking at how your surroundings kind of affect your mental health um other than that we're pretty similar to the other types of therapists and counselors we just spend more time on the family system than um, other programs we teach that's awesome I'm, you know, as a licensed professional counselor, I can, of course, work with, you know, uh, families and couples and stuff like that. It's not mm -hmm. my particular specialty. So I appreciate having, um, you know, kind of a network of marriage and family therapists that I can refer mm -hmm. to because, uh, like you said, 95% of what's going on a lot of times can be traced back to that support system. Uh, mm -hmm. in the environment that a person exists in. And mm -hmm. while, you know, my specialty is like working with adolescents, young adults, um, 
when I work with an adolescent, almost always there's a, a family component. So right. I, mm-hmm. you know, an, an environmental thing. So I, I tend to end up doing some family work regardless, just because I'm working with a young person. But when it's mm-hmm. above and beyond kind of some check-ins and kind of, you know, psychoeducation, I definitely um, pass that part over to a marriage and family therapist. So um, you would describe this as a, like a specialty, right? Yeah, it's definitely a specialty. Um, It is definitely a difference, like you said, in working with the actual family as opposed to a check-in or working with a couple as opposed to an individual. It's different techniques and different nuances that come with that. So I appreciate that, you know, you acknowledge that. And like you said, you have, you refer people to the marriage and family therapist because sometimes, um, therapists, they do their best working with families or with the couples, but because the training is not as specialized, um, it can get a little, you know, out of control. So, mm-hmm. uh, I love being referred to families and the couples. I just like have such a special place working with that system. It's just, it just brightens my day. <laughs> That's awesome. And, you know, especially pertaining to kind of our audiences of, you know, other black and brown people, Um, because I've said a bajillion times on this podcast, but we're not as, um, open, uh, and, uh, we don't utilize mental health services as much as our non-melanated counterparts. So, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and as I think of, you know, with the, the, the black clients, the brown clients that I work with, the family dynamics are just as important as they would be with any other client, but, mm-hmm. um, there's a particular trend of don't talk about family business. Um, oh, yeah. don't, mm-hmm. you know, what happens here stays here kind of thing. So I think with your niche and your focus on marriage and family, um, dynamics in communities of color, that's going to be so important because, yeah there's definitely a lot of healing to be had, um, in, in our communities. So I'm, I'm glad that you're out here doing the work. It's not my specialty, but I'm glad, uh, there are specialists to refer to. So, Mm -hmm. well, today we are going to be talking about the, the topic of mental health stigma and more specifically, we're going to be reflecting on an article. I'm trying to find the name here. Um, I found it in the New York Times uh, a couple weeks ago, and the article is by Seema Jill Jelani, and the it's an opinion article, but it's called "Why Do, Why So Many Doctors Treat Their Mental Health in Secret." So the point of you know kind of discussing this article is to kind of talk about how um, you know so, as a society we still have a lot of work to do as far as um, being accepting and open to the fact that mental health is a essential component of our overall health. You know, you got your physical health, mm-hmm. you got your emotional health, that's your mental health. You've got your social health, that's your relationships. And um, we, we have to approach health holistically. So um, I thought it was interesting yeah. that this one focused on doctors and mental health, because as therapists, we work with doctors um, you know, we do the, the emotional component, but we often refer to doctors, um, in the mm-hmm. case of clients who need, you know, mental health medication and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. but 
anybody in the helping profession is just as vulnerable to, you know, the stressors of life and stuff like that as um, anybody else. Um, but because of the stigma that we still face, y'all are going to hear my dog snoring. That's that's our um, thing that we do in every episode. We, we <laughs> listen for the dog snore. Um, but the the stigma is especially um, impacting, um, you know, physicians. And I've even seen it as a, a therapist myself, because uh, I know I'm very um, forthcoming about the fact that the whole reason I became a therapist is because I have an anxiety disorder. I went to therapy in college, and mm -hmm. that's what kind of prompted me to become a therapist. Um, mm -hmm. But I've even um, there have been times prior to the pandemic where I would like uh, share office space with other therapists and like an office suite. And I've mm -hmm. had some older therapists, you know, almost like question me like they're they're like, well, why are you on social media talking about how you have anxiety and things like that? Um, and I've had one person say, you know, um, people are supposed to look at you as somebody who knows what you're talking about. They're not going to trust you wow. if you say you have anxiety, which I found hilarious because my what really helps me build rapport with my clients is the fact that I don't present myself as this all knowing, mm -hmm. but I present right. myself mm -hmm. as I'm a human just like you. Um, yeah. I'm a fellow traveler in this thing called life. And truly, honestly, if we're being honest with ourselves, this is the blind leading the blind. They just mm -hmm. handed me a therapy license. <laughs> so I think when I do that, it brings down the the stress level, especially as you think of like our, our black and brown clients. They're already hesitant mm -hmm. to talk yeah. to somebody because of our, um, you know, conditioning that we have. So mm -hmm. anything I can do to bring down that stigma is is that's going to be my approach. And despite what, you know, some of the older non-melanated, this particular person, uh, therapists mm -hmm. have said to me, um, it's never really bothered me that much because I know that it's something that sets me apart. Um, many clients have told me, oh, the fact that you're just so real and authentic about what you go through. Um, and I, I'll talk about like that I take medication, that I see my own therapist. Mm -hmm. I'm always telling people, don't trust a therapist who doesn't have a therapist because we're all mm -hmm. crazy, right? In yeah, a good way. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, you know, I, I, I think this is going to be a good topic to jump into because it, if, you know, those who are providing the services are feeling the stigma, imagine what that looks like for the general public. Um, so to jump in... I want to share um, a little bit of context from the article, um, just kind of talking about how, you know, just like any job can take a toll on a person. I think, you know, being in the medical profession or even as a therapist, I'm, I'm sure you've noticed the uptick in people seeking therapy during this pandemic, mm -hmm. haven't you? Yeah, yes, definitely. Yeah. I was scared at first. I was like, oh, my gosh, people are going to stop going to, to therapy because, you know, people are losing their job. I have never been busier. Like I stayed yeah. fully booked and like, I, I truly yeah. thought, Oh, this is bad, but it really never took yeah. a, it never backed off. It, it always, it got busier and busier. So here's yeah, the first definitely lit right now. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. I'm busier currently, um, than ever. Last month was my busiest month 
um, in the three years that I've owned, um, or, you know, been, had my own practice. So, mm-hmm. um, so the one doctor in this article, um, quote, she said, I, I once had two children die within six hours of each other. After each death, I choked back the welling tears, picked up the next patient's chart, and soldiered into the next room. The culture of medicine discourages doctors like me from crying, sleeping, or making mistakes. Worse, we can even be punished for seeking mental health care. Residency can consist of sleep deprivation, hunger, constantly being told you're not good enough doctor, and working a torturous 100-hour week all while six figures in debt. Resident physicians routinely work on weekends and holidays, often with only four days off per month. Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education Regulations generally do not allow resident physicians to work more than 80 hours a week, averaged over four weeks, but some residents feel that they must lie on their timesheets to avoid scrutiny, end quote. So, you know, you're currently in your um, graduate school stage, and then you go into a residency for counseling, right? Um, so I am in my internship right now, mm-hmm. which is a year. And then, yeah, after this, um, I'm still, I still have to be under supervisor for, uh, I think, a thousand hours or something like mm-hmm. that um, until I can be fully licensed on my own. So, yeah, I still even after I graduate, has to be under a, a supervision. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I, while it's not as, uh, based on this example I just read, it's not quite as rigorous for therapists. It's still, mm-hmm. I remember, because um, are you in Maryland? Yes. Okay. You're in the state of Maryland. I'm in the Commonwealth of Virginia. So ours, I know that Virginia is pretty rigorous as far as what they expect in the residency. And mm-hmm. I remember during that I worked in order to get everything done and to get my license. I worked sometimes I had like four different jobs, like uh, yeah, in the mental yeah. health field, just to get mm-hmm. the hours and to right, yeah. get the experience and stuff. So I can somewhat relate. But, you know, I'm uh, for the purposes of this article, I think it's important to see how like you know, any job could be stressful, but I think since we are helping professions, like think of your physician that can prescribe mental health medication or your therapist Mm -hmm. who's there to, you know, talk to you about what's going on with your mental health. There is a lot of pressure to appear that everything is okay. Like the one doctor had said there were two children that just died six hours apart from each other. And you're supposed to just like suck it up and keep it going. Right. right? Mm -hmm. Um, and not only is that internally detrimental, but um, I wonder, you know, what kind of, you know, empathy and care you can really provide a, mm-hmm. a you know, patient or a client if you're not really allowing yourself to be human. What are your thoughts right. on that? Yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine um, experiencing something like that. Um, I I know when I have a very challenging session with a client or a very emotional or, you know, listen to someone's trauma and then I have to move on to the next client with less than 10 minutes to like debrief and process what mm-hmm. I just heard in the previous session and how, you know, you kind of have to clear your mind and, and almost like the doctor said and try to forget everything that you just heard and what you just been through to support the next person. And it's very, very hard. 
And actually, I have uh, my sister-in-law is in residency right now in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. She's almost done. I think she has like a few more months left. But I always think about her and, and just the fact that she's, you know, she also has a toddler. She's a wife. She plays all these different roles while also being under the strenuous, strenuous schedule of residency and, you know, always thinking and hoping that her mental health is, is the best it could be. I'm pretty sure it's not in the best overall. I don't think it's in a terrible state, but of course, just under the circumstances, I can only imagine mm-hmm. all the stress she's experienced. And so, I, any I amount of persistent mm-hmm. stress is going to compromise us somehow. It's just part of being human. Yeah, yeah. and I just really feel for doctors um, because of the relationship I have with her, and I can see behind the scenes how much hard work they are really putting into this profession and um, all the sacrifices they make. So this article definitely just provided even more insight for me as to what helping professionals go through. And then the unfortunate lack of support we get on the other side um, when it's time for us, like you said, to be human because we are human and it's impossible to expect us to, to operate at these high levels all of the time and not have any type of emotion or lack of judgment or whatever. It's just, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I agree because we wouldn't expect, you know, that would be like the, the way that I guess professionals, helping professionals are expected. And I work with a lot of my clients are nurses. Um, mm-hmm. So I, um, you know, they're, they're basically debriefing and talking about all the stuff they're seeing, especially during this pandemic. Um right. But the the culture is appear that everything is okay. Don't look bothered. Don't cry. Don't you know all of this and <clears throat> what it's you know what it's doing is these people are burning themselves out because um, mm-hmm. they don't they don't have that that support. So um, I, next we're going to get into kind of the concept of stigma that is kind of shared in this article. So I want to share a little bit of statistics that the author provided. So, quote, despite the grueling experiences, the medical profession often stigmatizes physicians who seek mental health care and erects barriers to such care. As of last spring, medical boards in 37 U.S. states and territories asked questions that could require a doctor seeking licensure to disclose any mental health treatments or conditions. These questions can be intrusive and overly general. Ticking those boxes can feel like risking everything we have worked toward over the years. It could result in the medical board reviewing our personal medical records, possibly in psychiatric and drug testing, and perhaps even in having our medical license reviewed, suspended, or revoked, all under the guise of, quote, establishing our professional competence. In a 2017 paper, Nearly 40% of physicians reported being reluctant to seek mental health care because they worried it would jeopardize their chances of getting or renewing their medical licenses. In a 2016 survey of female physicians, close to half said they believed that they had met criteria for a mental illness but avoided care, in part for fear of licensing boards. And so the article goes on to say, When physicians summon the courage to seek help, they might have to do so at the very hospital where they work and could be recognized by patients and colleagues. 
Um, and then the author also said, this has all helped create an underground market of sorts for physician mental health care, an often unspoken rule. If you must seek mental health care, do it quietly, find a therapist outside of your city who documents only the bare minimum in your chart, pay with cash only. Don't let it be billed to your insurance company. Make sure there's no paper trail end quote. So that. Um, you know, when we look at those specific examples, it's like, wow, people really are having to, I just, you know, I get the visual of like someone, you know, wearing like a, uh, fake glasses and a, a mustache and like in a disguise, right. like, you know, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> going outside of their town in like an unmarked car just to get care right. because of, you know, um, the f- fearing that somebody is going to say something and, mm-hmm. Uh, it that is probably the most detrimental part of stigma in addition to yeah. people not seeking care because that's one of the biggest drawbacks of mental health stigma. Um, but uh, people are more likely not to get care, but then in the event that they do get care, they have to worry about the impact to their livelihood. Um, right. And it's under this premise that if you need help, you're somehow defective. But again, as yeah, and like as like as a doctor, if someone said, "Oh, you're weak because you have a heart murmur," right? You would look at them sideways and be like, "What is wrong with Mm -hmm. you?" But when a doctor needs to see a therapist or to take Prozac or something, it's like you're a defective doctor, right? Or kind of like that other therapist said to me is like people are going to think you're incompetent if you're a therapist who talks about your anxiety and going to therapy Mm -hmm. and taking medication, right? It's like you said, very backwards. What are some of your thoughts on those uh, segments that I just shared? Yeah, I'm just not understanding why actually seeking help and, um, you know, doing your best to uh, address the problem and to be a healthier person is considered worse than just trying to suffer through it when you're literally saving people's lives you're working as one of the most important jobs in the world dealing with you know people's charts and reading um you know blood work and just doing all these things that require your as best of your mental state as possible and if you're suffering silently through these things how can that that's going to affect your job more negatively than actually seeking some type of help and um you know, taking care of yourself first because you can't take care of other people when you don't take care of yourself. So it's just very backwards to me. It's very ignorant. It's very unfortunate. Um, and you just wish that you can do something about it. But it's just like some, some of these things are so above you. It can almost feel discouraging. But I think even just doing things like this, doing podcasts and raising awareness and this article that the lady wrote will help more people and, 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 spark the discussion and encourage people that they are not alone in their situation and that getting help is definitely important and needed and necessary and it's nothing wrong with you for having to do do these things talk about some of the ways um you know in your position as a um marriage and family therapist but also through your instagram platform um, what are some of the things that you've been doing to kind of um, raise awareness for mental health stigma, but also to reduce it? What are what are some things you've been putting into place? Um, 
So I try to talk about topics that are, you know, very relatable. Um, I remember I did a series called the Basic Series where I just talked about the different um, mental illnesses like anxiety and depression and bipolar disorder and and just what it looks like, not diagnosing anyone, but just explaining what it is and trying to normalize it, not making it out to be like this just this big, you know, horrible monster that needs to be thrown in the closet, but just putting it out there. This is what it is. This is what it looks like. This is the statistics reading, you know, how many people uh, have these illnesses um, and then just talking about topics like boundaries and, and kind of trying to balance the topics of what mental illness versus mental wellness and just mental health because I think a lot of people think when you're talking about mental health that means you have just these severe mental illness but it's like no mm-hmm. mental health is just like physical health when you go get a checkup um, you may have a cold and, and you know feel bad for one moment but for you know it's it's not it doesn't mean that you have a severe mental illness it's just literally your mental health and what you can do to be in your best mental state possible so just trying to educate people and normalize it talk about it in a very plain and understandable way and of course when I can use my own personal experience um, doing that has also been important inviting other brown people who are also in the mental health field to talk about it and um just normalizing it and and not making it to be this just like topic that's so taboo just throwing it out on the table definitely and i think in you know black and brown communities the the most exposure that people i guess have to any sort of mental health service is the most extreme right so they know of someone who went mm-hmm. into an er and then into a psych ward or something and even in the yeah. media you know you see um you know movies where it's very dramatized so someone mm-hmm. you know seeking mental health um, they're, they're portrayed as like incompetent, like dangerous, Mm -hmm. you know, and all of this stuff. And then that's what people think. They're like, oh, if I say to somebody that I'm, I'm having panic attacks, or if I say to somebody, I, um, have shifts in my mood and stuff, they're going to put me, it's almost like the fear of like being imprisoned. Um, Mm -hmm. and so they fear the stigma has then made that person, uh, less likely to seek care, which means their quality of life goes down. Um, and then, you know, we're talking about, you know, with your profession, um, the family systems that are involved. Well, if say a mother, um, let's use you, for example, you're a mother, um, Mm -hmm. uh, of one toddler, one on the way. Congratulations, by the way. Um, and so say you're, um, you're struggling and um, you have, you know, seen all of this stuff, like, uh, say you're not a therapist, right? And you're just like, well, you know, um, I was told that, you know, you just need to pray about it. Like, that's how you deal with problems in life or something, right? But you don't yeah. say go and get holistic help. So that's the spiritual component. But what about your body, your, your mind, your social relationships and stuff? You do nothing mm-hmm. with that. So if you go untreated, it doesn't just affect you. Your quality of life is Mm going to go down because you're not going to be able to function as well. But you have a toddler who depends Mm -hmm. on you. You've got a baby growing inside of you that, um, you know, we've learned through school and stuff like that, that, um, you know, 
we're, we're impacted by hormones and environmental factors. Like a stress of a pregnant mother can have mental health consequences on the, the baby. It can impact, you know, growth and development, all sorts of stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And then think, you know, we're talking about systems, the family, you, you have your, your partner, you have, um, your own extended family members and stuff that, you know, Mm -hmm. depend on you. So, something going untreated due to mental health stigma doesn't just impact one person. It has a ripple effect out. Mm -hmm. Um, anything you want to add to that? I mean, you really literally hit the nail on the head. Um, I mean, like you said, it affects me. I can't take care of myself. So now I may be more short and irritable to my son. I may not be able to support my husband in the way he needs to be supported. You know, I may become distant to my friends. My job may be, you know, my job may be affected. I mean, it literally will affect everything around you, your whole entire system um, when you don't take care of yourself and your mental health. And it happens so frequently. And like you said, just the, the, the sayings of, you know, oh, you need to pray about it. Your faith is not... Um, you know, strong enough right now, or everybody goes through this, you will be okay. You know, just when people are trying to be supportive, but really it's not very helpful, the cliches, I talked about that as well, like what you can actually say to someone who's going through a hard time that is not dismissive, that is validating them. And, you know, just the main thing you can do is asking someone, how can I support you? And letting them tell you as Mm -hmm. opposed to, you know, feeling like you have to figure it out for them. But yeah, I, I mean, I just completely agree that it affects so many different people outside of yourself when you're struggling with this stuff alone because you're afraid of the stigma and what other people are going to think or say about you. Definitely. Well said. So there, at the end of the article, there is a quote that I want to share because um, I think it kind of puts a nice bow on this <clears throat> conversation. Mm-hmm. So, quote, It is time we collectively agree that physicians are worthy of the same compassion we give our patients. We as doctors bear witness to humanity's ugliest and most glorious moments. So it is only natural that we are deeply moved and sometimes disturbed by it all. Acknowledging this vulnerability isn't weakness. It makes me a better doctor, end quote. And so I know for me personally, um, as a therapist, I've literally, you know, I've been in this field for what six and a half years. Um, I've seen some pretty ugly stuff. I've seen people at their worst. I've heard, you know, um, the vicarious trauma that I get of, you know, um, people having family members murdered and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, being through traumas and bad car accidents and everything, you know, we, as helping professions, we take that stuff on. I think the same thing goes with physicians, but, um, you know, acknowledging, Hey, I'm a human, I'm impacted too. Like the, the author said, it's not a weakness. It just, and as I love that last line, it makes me a better doctor because like I said before, I think I'm a better therapist because I talk about going to therapy because I talk Mm -hmm. about living with a mental health condition because I talk about, taking medication and exercising and literally doing all the stuff I'm telling my clients to do because I mean, I've been to, to people before who kind of have that like disconnected, like, mm-hmm. okay, you're a problem to be solved kind of thing. Right. Um, yeah. 
And for me, that doesn't work. I, I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel safe. So mm-hmm. um, I know that I respond very well to folks who are just genuine. Um, and so I know it makes me a better therapist. Talk a little bit about how, um, you know, being open with your clients has kind of helped you become a better marriage and family therapist. Yeah, it's so interesting because in school, you know, the first half of school, um, well, you know, it's just in the books, you're not getting really any hands-on experience. And one of the taboos that we learn is, you know, self-disclosure is really, really not something that they encourage. They want you to Mm -hmm. disclose as little as humanly possible because of X, Y, and Z. And um, as I've actually been in my internship for nine months now, and I can see how of course, not making an assessment about you and giving your whole life story, but there are moments where it's appropriate to disclose, and you can see how the comfort level of the client just increases so much when you share certain things about yourself and let them know, like, I can completely understand what you're going through, literally, because I've been there. I've experienced that. I've, I've been where you are, and, and there's hope on the other side. Um, and so I definitely think it's important to um, be human and to be able to you know, even though we're viewed as the quote-unquote expert, like you said, they just gave us a license, okay? Like, we're all going through things personally mm-hmm. all the time. We're all going through life. And so um, just being honest about that and it is it's so important in making the client feel comfortable and building that rapport and that therapeutic relationship because, I mean, I could be super smart. I could get straight A is my 4.0, but if my client doesn't feel comfortable, doesn't feel like we can relate, they're going to be on to the next person who maybe, you know, made it by with the C pluses, but they're relatable. They can, you know, get someone to open up. They can get someone to feel comfortable with them. So I think that's a huge component of being a therapist and a, and a doctor as well, a, help, a helping professional period. You want to feel warm and you want the client to be comfortable for sure. Definitely. You can't, it's not, it's not something like, a, oh, if you have book knowledge, you're all of a sudden like, oh, you have this degree, you're a therapist, right? Like it right. takes a lot of interpersonal, it takes a lot of practice, it takes trial and error. Um, there are some jobs yeah. where if you know the book knowledge, you can excel, right? Like, let's say mm-hmm. coding or um, something, you know, uh, mechanical, right? Like how to fix the air conditioning or something. If you know the knowledge, mm-hmm. you could do the job and you're good, but when it comes right. to dealing with people, it's not that simple. And something that you mm-hmm. said that jumped out at me was, um, you know, when you tell a client, I understand, um, there, I, I think of situations where I've, say, been talking with a medical professional or a therapist, um, and they'll say, oh, I understand but there's no uh, personal connection. There's no, you know, this is how I understand. For example, I can tell a client, I understand it. You know, I'll almost finish their sentences sometimes when they're describing a panic attack or anxiety. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, and you like set up ruminating and, you know, it feels like your thoughts are in a a blender, right? They're like, yes. And so, you know, I, I can say I understand, but to actually give them something to say, this is why I understand. It takes it from, oh, you're not just patronizing me. You're not just saying, oh, I understand. 
um, mm-hmm. you really do understand and you've given an example and shown that you understand. It really just, it, it yeah. takes it to the next level. Um, but if somebody were to just be like, oh, I understand, you can tell if they're mm-hmm. being genuine with you and it makes all the right. difference. Yeah, you can definitely tell when someone's just saying it to say it and then from people who genuinely really understand and feel you on a deeper level, definitely. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, Kishan, I am so glad that you, um, we've been trying to connect for a while now, so I'm glad that we finally, you know, were able to set aside some time and get you on the podcast. Um, Tell the listeners, and of course, I'll put your links in the the show notes, but uh, tell the listeners uh, where they can find you and um, the stuff that you're doing. Sure, yep. So you can find me at your future brown therapist, Y-O-U-R. F-U-T-U-R-E-B-R-O-W-N-T-H-E-R-A-P-I-S-T on Instagram. Um, I am finishing up my internship. I will be done in August and getting my uh, degree and starting my journey um, to becoming a fully licensed professional after graduating. Um, I'm also wife and mom and daughter, sister, friend, godmother, just all these other beautiful roles. Um, and most importantly, I am me. I'm Keyshawn, and I'm so passionate about the mental health I have been since in ninth grade, and I'm just so happy to um, be living out my purpose and my dreams and connecting with other therapists like John Zell, who's been so supportive to me. I don't know how he found me, but I'm so happy he did. He's been so supportive and just encouraging and I hope to come back again and to have him on my platform one day. And yes, just thank you again for having me. It's been a, it's just been great. Thank you. And this year is a very exciting one for you because you said graduate in August. Yeah. And the new baby is here in July, so we get new yes. baby degree, um, yeah. all of that uh, wrapped into one. That that's an exciting time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Thank you once again for taking the time to talk with me. Um, And thank you listeners for tuning in. Uh, We will catch you on the next one. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support this podcast by buying me a coffee. The link is in this episode's show notes. Thanks in advance. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast. And best of all, it's free. They offer creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor also distributes your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and many more. Did I mention that you can make money from your podcast no matter the size of your following? Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today.